As Alistair said, we're starting our new series this evening uh, in Abraham, um, which we find in Genesis. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, then please do turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, And while you're doing that, can I just remind those who are place age that place kicks off this evening. So if you're year 11, uh, up to the age of about 21, then you're very welcome to join us and we'll be meeting in the manor hall uh, roughly around a quarter to... So you'll have still a bit of time to chat with all of the church family here, uh, so don't feel you have to rush in, but at that point then we'll, we'll move in that direction. Genesis chapter 12, and tonight's reading is verses 1 through to 9. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haram. And they set out from the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord he had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. And we give thanks to God for his word. So if you have uh, your Bibles that are still in front of you, please keep them open at... Genesis 12, and we'll ask for help once again from the Lord. God, you are our God and our Lord, and once again we come asking for help, and we can read words, we can understand ideas, but you're the one who takes the word and makes it living and you make it living in our minds and hearts. So we pray that your spirit might come and lead us as we study together as a church family these great words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to Genesis 12, the spotlight falls on one main character, Abram, who will become Abraham. That's the person we're looking at. 14 chapters are given to this man, his story and his ministry. And while Moses is known as the great lawgiver and as Joshua is known as the great general and as David is known as the great king and the great poet and as John the Baptist was known as the great forerunner and as Peter was known as the great preacher and Paul was known as the great missionary and theologian and church planter. Abraham is known as the great man of faith. The great man of faith. 
The name Abraham features significantly in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. For instance, he's uh, spoken of as a man who believed God. Romans 4 verse 3. Not that he believed in God or believed about God, but he believed God, what God said, and he acted upon it. That's the kind of man he was. He believed God. Romans 4 verse 11 described him as the father of all who believe. He's also known as the friend of God, James 2 verse 23. And if you take many of these descriptions of Abraham, you begin to see that he's a man of significance when it comes to the outworking of the plan and purpose of God. Therefore, his life and his character, his ministry, deserves close study for those of us who are serious about our faith. Those of us who are right with God and who want to serve. If we want to serve, if we want to be a friend of God, if we want to believe, then this guy's worth studying, isn't he? Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 19 gives us a broad perspective of his life. We read some of those verses at the beginning of the service. His whole disposition was towards the future. Which he, was, which he believed was planned by God, was being shaped by God. Not blind faith. The Bible never suggests that we show blind faith. But he kept in mind and in heart what God said. And so sometimes his life became confused. And he landed himself in all kinds of complicated situations. But what we're going to see, I think, is that Abraham's a real man. He's not some superhuman spiritual robot programmed to think in a certain way, programmed to do God's will. No, he's a real man. He, he makes mistakes. He gets things wrong. But he's a man of faith. And his failures remind us that God has chosen the weak things of the world. And I think that's a comfort, isn't it? And his triumphs are an inspiration and challenge to us to believe God and to go with him. So whatever way you look at him, we're going to see he's an example to us. If you're familiar with the early chapters of Genesis, you know that Genesis 3 through to Genesis 11 is a sad and miserable story. Read them when you go home. Disobedience, murder, deception, drunkenness, Sexual immorality, rebellion. Sounds very contemporary now, doesn't it? Yet out of that fallen, sordid situation, what does God do? He calls Abraham and Sarah. And his call and his salvation created like a brand new beginning. In many ways, that's what we're going to be studying. A brand new beginning for the likes of us, the church of Jesus Christ. That's where we go back to, back to Abraham. In many ways, we are here today. We're here tonight because of this work that God began in and through Abraham. And that's why I suppose my favorite verse about Abraham is Galatians 3, 29. If you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. For those of us who are Reformed and Presbyterian, this verse means a great deal. A great deal. We're Abraham's seed and heirs of his promises. The promises God made to him are ours in and through Christ Jesus. The fact is that a true biblical, spiritual, born-again Christian is closer to Abraham than a Jew is. He's our daddy, our spiritual daddy. Let's think of, uh, sorry, five points tonight in our introductory study, but stay with us. The, 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 the last, three or, last two are shorter than the first couple, the first one or two. Okay, first of all, background. It's important we get that. I, I didn't ask um, Jeff to read chapter 11, 27 to 32, because it's full of names, and I don't like reading difficult names. I find them hard to get my tongue around some of them. Uh, but that's where we see the background. And, and it's quite surprising because Abraham, the faithful one, the founder of the greatest family tree ever, the friend of God, was born an absolute pagan, a heathen. The names of his family that are listed there in chapter 11 point to the pagan worship of the moon god, Herky. And we know from history that the cities of Ur and Haran were centers of moon worship. So Abram didn't go to Sunday school and grid. <laughs> he didn't have the heritage of, that many of us have. No, he worshipped the non-god, Herky, a dead pagan god. And yet, Abraham, Abram became a man of God. He became a child of God. Also, we've got to realize that he wasn't kind of a, a primitive caveman. Sometimes we've got this image of uh, these ancients as being primitive. No, he belonged to a very highly educated and civilized society. Ur, where he came from initially, was a center of advanced civilization. We, we ha recently have been able to... Um, Archaeologists have been able to find out just what life was like there. They had fine architecture, complex plumbing. In fact, there's an early example of central, a central heating system in that city back in those days. There were libraries uh, full of information and all kinds of subjects. So he wasn't a primitive caveman. He was highly civilized and intelligent. And the third thing we can say about him is that... Socially, he was a family man. Uh, we see this in his loyalty to his family, his love for a wife who was barren, and so easily he could have abandoned her, as was the common practice. But no, he loved his wife and remained faithful to her. He loved his father and was faithful to him, and he loved his nephew, Lot. He was a committed family man. So religiously heathen, intellectually civilized, socially a family man, and you might say, what on earth has Scott to do with the story? Well, it's, I think it says a lot about who he was. We spend some time sketching out his background because background means something. It doesn't mean everything, but it means something. Now, we can't and we shouldn't blame everything on our backgrounds, but our backgrounds do count for something. And I think the interesting thing is that we are creating backgrounds all the time. You know that, mums and dads, don't you? The backgrounds of our children and our grandchildren 
our young people are being created right now by the way we do life, by the way we do faith. Individually and as families and as a church, we are creating backgrounds. I wonder, and I ask this question to myself, will our children rise and thank God for their parents? Will they? Will they say, thank you God for giving me my mum and my dad because they showed me the faith, they showed me the ways of God. Thank you, God, for all the love and the learning and the leading and the equipping and the instruction. Will our children say that of us mums and dads, grannies and granddads? Or even to ask us as a congregation, will the next generation of our PC members rise up on the last day and thank God for this generation in our PC, for the legacy we left them? for good and godly gospel ministry that we created and we maintained even though greatly pressurized. I wonder, will they? You see, we are creating history right now. We're creating backgrounds right now in the way we do life and in the way we do ministry. So we see it's a surprising background, but I think there's another point about this background is that background is no hindrance to God's purposes. Despite his weird and unusual background, he was chosen by God and called and equipped and used by God. And don't we see this all over the Bible? We see Moses, for instance. He met God and was called by God at a burning bush. And then we had Isaiah. We thought about this hymn this morning in our call to worship. He met God and was called by God in the temple. And then Paul met God, was called by God on the Damascus Road. God had plans for these men when he met them and called them and used them. And there was nothing in their past, nothing in their backgrounds that could frustrate God's plans for them, that could hinder God's purposes for them. Now, for instance, Moses. Do you know about Moses? A murderer? A coward? An excuse maker? A poor speaker? Isaiah was a foul-mouthed depressive. He was part of a, a people who were basically a minority in the world's scheme of things. Paul was a legalistic Pharisee who hated Jesus, persecuted the church, murdered Stephen. You would have thought any of them would have been you know, top of the list for being people to be called and used by God, but they were. Nothing can hinder the purposes of God. Nothing in your background, nothing in your past, nothing in your present. Because it's about God's sovereign will for your life. It's about God's sovereign call upon your life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can use you. Because you might be sitting here thinking, you know what? Who am I? Who am I to be used by God? You might be thinking, what, what could I do? I'm absolutely no use. You could be thinking, my background, my baggage, my mistakes, I have failed. I have failed beyond repair. How can I be used? But get the point. God is greater than our background. God is greater than our sin. He's greater than our rebellion. And God took who Abram was, made him into Abraham and added to him 
gifts and character and abilities. Why? Because it was his joy to do so. It was his sovereign will to do so. And remember this, friends, God is sovereign. And he's in control. And he can take anyone, no matter what their background is, heathen or civilized, a family man or somebody who doesn't care less about family. He can take you and change you and then use you. The great thing is the gospel is a gospel that changes people for time and for eternity. So don't be afraid of what is bad or disappointing in your past or even in your present. But what you've got to do is you've got to face your past and perhaps be honest about who you are right now. Seek forgiveness through repentance and ask for his power. And see God grip you and use you mightily. And join the journey of faith. Be an Abraham. Just like Abraham. Background. I wonder if this is the only thing you can remember. Remember this. God loves you. God wants you. And God will use you when you come to him and ask for forgiveness and cleansing and power. The background. But what about the call? Well, we see it's a sad occasion that leads to a new challenge. At the end of chapter 11, uh, we see that Terah died in Haran. That's the bereavement. That's the sad occasion. The new challenge was chapter 12, verse 1. Leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land, I will show you. We might say that there's two parts to this call, the leave and the go, the leave and the go, leave. Here's what um, one uh, old preacher man that I used to listen to many years ago, this is what he said, the callings of God never leave a man where they find him. For to stay where he is after God has called him to move on is itself a backward movement even though he's taken no actual step. I find that very challenging, isn't it? So if you're standing still, friends, if you're standing still, and God calls you, and you don't obey, then it really is a backward step. It really is a backward step. And the call for us today is, in many places, to leave. Leave something, perhaps. And we'll see that in a moment or two. But when the call comes, we're to leave and we're to go. We're to leave and we're to go. We're, we're to be the, committed the whole way, full 100% commitment. That's what he expects and that's what he demands from his people. None of this kind of halfway commitment. No, the whole thing. Now, note where Abraham is, or I keep calling him Abraham, but he's not Abraham until later on, but... Note where, where Abram is when this second call comes. They set out for Canaan, but they stopped off at Haran. You see that in chapter 11, verse 31. If you can imagine um, a, a triangle here, Ur is here, but between Ur and Canaan, which is over here, is a big desert, the Arabian desert. So what they used to do was it used to go up and then down. Haran's up there in the north. So Ur, Haran, Canaan. He, they said, we're going to go there, but to go there, I've got to go up there. 
But when they go up there, what do they do? They stop. They stop. Verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And we can see in verse 32, Terah died there. Now, whether that first decision was based on the call of God, we don't know. But we do know this. They intended to go to Canaan, but stopped halfway. Hence the call in verse 1 of chapter 12. And when God calls us, you can see there it's on, on the screen. When God calls us, there are at least three choices we have. We can ignore the call and stay in rebellion and seek comfort in our sin and make all kinds of excuses. Oh, it's very easy to do that. Or secondly, we can partially obey and go so far and then we stop and we keep ourselves within our comfort zones and we feel happy with ourselves and we maybe even boast about ourselves and we say we're better than those who never moved at all. Or the third option is that we fully obey. We leave and we go and we refuse to stop short and we refuse to play safe. And you can see what Terah and his family did. They partially obeyed. They went half the distance. But what I need to warn you is that full obedience involves many journeys, many battles, and much cost. And that's the problem, of course, isn't it? The cost do I have to? It's so easy just to partially obey because we're not ignoring the call and we're not really zealous. We're just going to play safe. Don't fall for that because that's exactly what Terra and his family did. Full commitment, you know, is not, um, it's not easy. It's not cheap. But when you fully commit and you get to the end, you will not have one regret. You'll not have one regret. And perhaps you know this idea of leaving, um, for some of us, may mean a physical move to some kind of missional situation. It may mean that for some, a physical leaving. But could I suggest that we spiritualize this? I think we're, we're going over the mark here to, to do that. It may mean leaving a secret sin or, or leave selfishness or a, a, um, some sort of hindering interest or some harmful loyalty or some harmful allegiance. And, and maybe we need to say, no, I'm going to leave that because God is sovereign. So leave. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And secondly, go. Go. It's clear where um, he was to leave or what he was to leave. It's unclear at this stage where he was to go, but Abram went with God because he knew that was the best place to be. Eric Alexander um, was a, a preacher man from Scotland who had a great influence on in my life um, many, many years ago. And this is what he said. There is no ideal place to serve God except the place where he sets you down. There is no ideal place to serve God except the place where he sets you down. Some wait for the ideal place and then they'll go. 
or some wait for the ideal circumstances, and then they go. Some actually wait for the perfect church, and then they go. And then they soon find out, of course, there's no such thing as a perfect church. See, the only ideal, right, and perfect place is where God sets you down. Can I apply this quite forcefully in a gracious kind of way, if you can do that? If it is here, then be here. If it is here, then serve here. If it is here, then worship here. And give it 100%. And if it's not here, then find the place of his choice. Because there is no ideal place to serve God, except the place where he sets you down. Let's not be partial obeyers and end up wasting our lives and the opportunities that he gives us. Third thing we want to think about is the promise. We see that in verses 2 and 3. God spoke and he made promises. And again, we're going to see here in these verses, which I haven't really time to unpack, but it's just full of, of God's promises and his activity and his blessing and the purposes of his grace and salvation. It's a beautiful piece of poetry. Seven expressions of blessing in those two verses. Five times God says, I will. And the focus is on personal blessing there in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, it's global blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God had a purpose for Abram to be blessed and to be a blessing. And likewise with us, Be blessed and then be a blessing. It's the way to and it's the way of faith. Be a blessing. Don't be a pain. Be a blesser. Some of us, of course, increasingly become sponges as we get older. I, I see this in, 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 in our, the lives where I see it myself sometimes. I see it in others we receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. We ask for blessing. We, we receive blessing and we keep blessing. We hoard it. And we're not good at sharing it. And what we need is the Holy Spirit to come and squeeze us. <laughs> squeeze the blessing out that has come in. Abram was blessed. and was a blessing. That's the way of faith. And there are multitudes of ways for us to be a blessing in our homes and in our workplaces, and in our communities, and in our church, a hundred, a thousand different ways to be a blessing. You see, our, our gifting is, is um, not for private or, or personal consumption. Our, our gifting, our calling, our salvation belongs to the body of Christ. You know, that's what we believe. We're the covenant people of God. We're, we're not a group of individuals. The family, the church, we are to serve and love and be blessed and be a blessing. So leave and, and go and be in the place and be among the people that God has chosen for you. Be a blessing. Fourthly, we see 
obedience, verses 4 and 5. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. You see that simple little expression, so Abram left. A simple decision in many ways, you know, I'm going to obey. Just one simple decision, but mightily powerful decision, significant decision for so many people, for us tonight. What a decision. Crucial in the plans and purposes of God. So, Abram left. Uh, I think it was an Alistair Begg story that I remember hearing many years ago um, about a guy called James Taylor. And it was set on a day in 1776, so it was a long, long time ago. And James was getting married, and he was a bit nervous. He was struggling to sleep. And in the middle of the night, he got up and he paced around. He was troubled in heart because a verse of Scripture was haunting him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, that was the verse. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Except he could not get it out of his mind. He, he tried to ignore these prompting words. He was a churchgoer. He was religious, um, but he wasn't a Christian. And the story was, of course, that Charles Wesley had been in the locality conducting evangelistic meetings. There had been some kind of small revival, but he had resisted the call of the Holy Spirit to be born again. But James Taylor knew there was something wrong, there was something missing on that evening before his wedding because he couldn't say that verse honestly. And so he knelt down on his knees and he placed his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's a lovely story in itself, isn't it? But what makes that story significant is that James Taylor was the great, great, great grandfather of Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to China. Millions today in Hong Kong and Taiwan and China, millions upon millions, owe so much to Hudson Taylor and his ministry. But few, few of those folk Realize that generations before, when great, great, great granddad James Taylor knelt in prayer the day before his marriage, God lit a candle in his family that would never go out and ran down to the generations, and much blessing flowed. See, that decision by James Taylor itself is significant for his own personal salvation. But did he know what his great, great, great grandson would do? A decision could be made here tonight by some of you folks. Maybe if you're unsaved and you need to be down on your knees asking for salvation. Or maybe you are saved, but you know for for years now, you've really been going on half power. Your commitment to the church is poor. You don't serve. You don't really give. You don't really pray. You don't really study your Bible. You're just floating along and you know you're not right and you know it's not good and you have a choice to make. And that choice is going to be good for you, but it could be significant for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Obedience. 
So Abraham left. What if he had stayed? What if he had stayed? And verse 5, we see that it was absolute and total trust. No complaints, no questions. It was a one-way ticket, no going back. Obedience. You see why we're going to be blessed by the study of this man? Dedication, that's our final point, verses 6 to 9. Kent Hughes titles this section, Abram's Sojourn. If you know, sojourn means a lot, doesn't it? It's a lovely word, a very powerful word. But you see, God was aware of the fear that was ruling in um, Abraham's heart. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham, you might say again, and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord and uh, who had appeared to him. He comes to Abraham and he communes with Abraham. And it result in a deeper dedication. And God does that. You know, he's very gracious that way. And it resulted in deep dedication. That's why we use the word dedication there in this point. And we see it in two ways. You notice that there in verse 7, he built an altar. And in verse 8, we see that he pitched his tent. Now again, I think it was Alistair Begg or some other preacher in the past made a big thing of this. And so I use it very willingly. You see, pitching a tent indicates something temporary. Because we're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We're only here for a short time. We're pitching a tent. Temporary. But we're building an altar. We're building an altar. Because that's permanent. We're going to be worshipping for the rest of eternity. But we're only here for a very short period of time. Or in my younger days, and I think I'm getting to the point in my life where I can talk about my younger days, we used to talk about holding lightly to the things of the world and holding tightly to the things of God. Lightly to the things of the world, tightly to the things of God. And here's the problem that many of us have. We are holding so tightly to the things of the world with all our fingers and with all our effort, we have no fingers left to hold tightly to the things of God. And so we spend our life grabbing and holding and owning and using. And we're wasting our lives because when we die, we will see things differently. Do you think Her Majesty, the Queen, is sitting in heaven tonight thinking about all her palaces and estates and all her multi-millions and servants? and dogs, and horses. Do you think she is? No, not one bit of it. What society holds as valuable is absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. What society rejects as nonsense, faith in Jesus, is everything. We've got to make sure we don't fall into the trap of chasing after Nothing when we can have everything. So I say again, pitch a temporary tent and build permanent altars. That's the way 
to live. Sojourners, we're here for a while. Worshippers, we're with God forever. We've got to pick one and go with it. In Luke 14, there's the parable, the famous parable of the banquet where the organizers send out the command, come, everything is now ready. But what we read is this. But they all alike began to make excuses. Oh, I, I, I just bought a field. I need to go and look at it. Oh, um, um, I bought some cattle. I better go and check it out. Uh, I've just got married. Sorry, I can't come. Excuses, excuses, excuses. They didn't want to come. They were holding tightly to the things of the world. They were holding very, very lightly to the things of God. I wonder tonight, as we hear this challenge about pitching a tent and see our temporary life as we sojourn here on earth and we build an altar because that's the permanent part of our being, I, I wonder, will we make excuses for ourselves? Oh, ah. Uh, I'm busy, I'm, I've, I'm studying, you know, I, I've got my sport, I've, I, I've got my hobbies, I've, I've got my family. Uh, sometime in the future, I'm really going to give myself to the Lord, you know. It's not that I, I don't want to come, God. It's not that I know I shouldn't come, I do know, I want to, and I, I, I will do some stage, but not now, not now, Lord, not now. The Bible says, this is the time. Now, not tomorrow, because tomorrow might not come. And it's here. Why not here? Why not before we come to the table where we remember the one who gave up everything for us? Absolutely everything. Why don't we say, no more excuses? I'm going to trust you, Lord. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to leave my sin. I'm going to go with you, God. I want to be blessed and I want to be a blessing. I want to hold lightly to the things of the world. I want to hold tightly to the things of God. Because I'm a sojourner here. A pilgrim. An alien. Jesus paid the price for allow us to, do, to allow us to do this. We're going to remember that now in a few moments' time. My friends, let us learn from Abraham, the man of faith, who shows us how to live by faith. Let's make our commitments. Let's keep to our commitments and serve him who is our God and our King. Lord, thank you for uh, this um, challenging portion of scripture, this man, an ordinary man that you worked in in exceptional ways to allow us to learn. And so we pray that as we study him and study these verses of scripture, you will write great truth on our hearts and that we will be a different people, a changed people, a committed people, a people who will walk by faith in this world. We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.